Hello and welcome to the Point of Everything podcast. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today is a live recording of a talk that I moderated on the first day of Cork Midsummer Festival on June 15th. The talk was called What's Next for Music in Cork? You probably have your own ideas of what's next for music in Cork, but the ideas of the people who we talked to were Joe Kelly, live at St. Luke's and It Takes a Village, who was on the podcast before It Takes a Village in April, so uh, you might be familiar with his voice. Ashley Keating from the Franken Walters and Cork Opera House. He's uh, I, I had seen Franken Walters headline with an orchestra at Right Here Right Now Festival at the start of June. So it was cool to talk to Ashley about like kind of Franken Walters and the booking at Cork Opera House. And Angela Dorgan, First Music Contact and various other things, loads and loads of other things uh, in Irish music. She's one of the um, the good people who are responsible for like getting Irish music heard like around the world and helping Irish bands like figure things out. Um, it was a really fun talk. We talked about music and Cork and what's next for music and Cork and yeah, I, I really enjoyed uh, the chat. I thought it was um, pretty informative. And yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. And we'll be back to normal TPOE one-on-one interview podcast stuff uh, shortly. But, you know, I mean, this weather, I'm recording it. I'm recording this intro a couple of weeks after the, uh, the moderated talk. And it's just this weather. You can't do anything in it. Like, nobody wants to be inside. I can record podcasts outside, so I think that I might just resort to that. Can I meet you outside in the blazing sun? And let's just record uh, an interview. Because nobody wants to miss out on this this heat wave that we're having. I wonder, like, how long until we get sick of it. But yeah, Cork Midsummer. Um, That's over now. it was a really, really good festival. It was great to see that it's back to being a full week event and like stuff on every day, like really, really strong theatre, music, talks program, very heavy on talks actually, which is really interesting. It's interesting that like, I don't know, I think podcasts are like more popular than in other countries, like in terms of listenership, we just have a real grow for listening to people weave stories and eek uh, answers out of people like you just need to look at um, uh, blind by blind blind by blind boy vote clubs uh, podcast see just how popular like it is like I can't believe how many people listen to that show religiously and he sells out all the time he was in St. Luke's Joe Kelly's event Joe Kelly's venue um, as part of Cork Midsummer that sold out like 400 people coming to see an interview between uh, Blind Boy and it turned out to be Tara Flynn that he was talking to. So that was really cool. So, um, yeah, really great to see Cork Midsummer back to its full strength. And yeah, hope you're enjoying the summer and hope you enjoy this chat and we'll talk soon. Uh, will we start, yeah? Yeah, go on, how's it going? So First Music Contact presents uh, What's Next for Music in Cork as part of Cork Midsummer, which is kicking off today. It's a really great uh, program that's running for the next week or so. Um, and this is like one of the first events. So it's really cool to be up on stage for the very first time at Cray Lane. My name is Ono Sullivan. I run a website called The Point of Everything. I run a, t- a Twitter 
uh, account called TPOE blog where you can hear all of my hot takes on new bands, good and bad, and I run a podcast called The Point of Everything where you may or may not be able to listen back to this chat. We'll, we'll wait and see what the audio is like for it. Um, but delighted to look at these three fine people next to me. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Starting with you, Joe Kelly. Keep it short. I'm Joe Kelly. <laughs> there you go. Is that enough? Joe Kelly from It Takes a Village and Live at St. Luke's. Yeah, that's it. Uh, my name is Angela Dorgan and I run First Music Contact, which is the National Arts Council funded resource organisation for musicians. We have Breaking Tunes Music Portal, Harvard and Classier's uh, Showcase event, and Music from Ireland, the Irish Music Export Office. And I'm Ashley Keating, I'm the drummer from the Frank and Walters, and I'm the booker in the Craft Opera House. So I guess before we talk about what's next for music in court. I mean, what do you think of it at present? Do you think it's in a healthy state at the moment? What would you, yeah, let's just, let's just start with that. What do you think of it at the moment, Joe? Um, I think, <coughs> no, I think there's a lot of healthy stuff going on, as in there's a lot of people making good music, etc., etc., and that's well and good, but, you know, I think, I think we were just saying before we started that what's very important is you have a scale of things. So, for example, like in Dublin, obviously because it's six times the size, but like you have a venue, so band A, you fill out a venue, it's 50 people, you have a sold out show, you move to the next venue, it's 100, you move to the next one, 200, and all the way up and you end up in the Opera House or O2 or whatever it's called now, Three Arena. You know, so there's a kind of stepping stone. So unfortunately we don't have that in Cork at the moment, which I do think is missing. Um, do you know, as well, I think there's like another thing that I think is very important, for example, a Cork band that's doing well at the moment, Talos, you know, you can see, like we have them in the Opera House for the Jazz Festival, but you, you can see that through their management, Barry Redsetter and Brendan from Feel Good Lost, like they have a plan and they stick to the plan and the plan is a six month plan, a nine month to eighteen month plan. And to be fair, you know, I'm true, actually Angela, when they were over in America, they met up with BMG America, I think, and they've actually signed to them now. So what I'm saying is, it's, it's like, for example, when I remember Hot Press back in the day, when it was more relevant 30 years ago, um, I remember actually, was it Paul or Niall, who Niall was the former guitarist in France, saying that, you know, there was this system of things. So if you got a write-up for your demo back in the day, because to put a single out was expensive, even to record a demo, would be four hundred pounds, so like it could be like fifteen hundred quid for you know a young band it was very expensive, but it was if you had three songs, it was amazing, you know. And so if you got a review for your demo, that was your first step. And then if Dave Fanning, which was the seminal kind of John Peel show in Ireland at the time, if you got on that show on airplay, well you could see the progression. And so unfortunately, what I think is that anyone can throw up tracks online, anyone can say I have a single out. But that really doesn't resonate unless, you know, you're actually starting to make inroads to say there's 10 venues we'd like to play in Galway. For example, you see up in Galway, there'd be Kitto, who used to be in the cellar, but now we're in uh, Roche and Dove. And you see all these little posses around the country. So, you know, there has to be a kind of, this is our goal for the next three to six months. Then from that forward, it's like, you know, I remember Girl Brand bringing out their first single, it was a few hundred copies, but they got linen 
and I don't know, do you have a copy? I know Ashley does, but you know, they were very handmade and whatever. So everyone with that first single, it's a real collector's item. So, you know, you could argue if you're gonna bring something out, at least have something that is physical. You know, someone once said, does anyone love their MP3s? I would argue no. So, you know, all I'd say at a starting point is it's very easy to go around patting ourselves on the back and say, aren't we great? But what's really important is that, again, back to when Ashley would have been starting, that the Franks and the Sultans actually bypassed Dublin because it was so hard to break Dublin that both Keith Cullen and Stand Records in London and Rhythm King, I think, who signed the Sultans for two singles at the start, again, they were London-based and they had come over to a thing that used to be in Henry's called Carling Henry's, um, you know, Rocks. Cork Rocks. Cork Rocks, you know? So there was... So in other words, we need to get out there and not alone have stuff that we have people from out of the city coming in and realizing that the bands are good, but equally you have to proactively um, manage yourself or get someone to help you. And it doesn't mean it's the cool guy in the gang, it's almost like the boring guy or girl in the gang might be a better manager, you know, so. Um, Angela, with the stuff that you do with Hard Work and Class Heroes and with, is it Culture Ireland as well? Music from Ireland. Music from yeah, Ireland. But it's funded by Culture Ireland taking bands abroad, like, do you kind of differentiate between, like, Cork bands, Dublin bands, Galway bands, and you just see them as Irish? So, first of all, we don't pick them. Um, so, we would see, you know, a lot of people and us see Hard Rock and Class Heroes as the, the annual national showcase event. It's also the first step to our export strategy. So, we get funding to bring in about between 40 and 50 international buyers to that in a very similar way that, I mean, Ian's Cork Rock was absolutely my inspiration. The idea for the, what I wanted to be when I grew up was getting in and out of Henry's um, for that and going, if this was a job, I'm going to do it, which is why we, Marty, myself and Jim and a couple of others started Music Resource Centre 20 years ago, and because um, I was eight when that started. And um, it, it, that was the motivation behind that, I suppose. So our export, we also don't pick the bands for harder and class heroes. So the thing Joe's talking about, um, about getting, you know, out there and getting people who make a difference to the next step to your career development, that's something we do very, very early on. And um, so we don't, you know, we, the, the judges we have, we have 42 judges, seven are Irish. So all the rest are international. So they see Cork or Dublin or whatever on your Breaking Tunes page, they don't know where what is. So for them, they're marking you out of 10 and five categories. Four of them have to do with your sound and the fifth has to do now just in the last two years with, because we brought it from 100 to 50 bands, has to do with your plan for the next 12 months. Um, and that's where the differentiation between what used to be 150 will come down to. So know where you're from doesn't matter. And w for the international events, then it's the people, the bookers for those events are all at Hard Work and Class Heroes. So that's where they do their shopping. And you can pitch them if you already have an agent and, and all of that. But again, they are looking at who they will, even for Eurosonic, he will always say he doesn't even care what country people are from. He, we don't give him a quota. We'd have, you know, for one year we'll have six invitations and the next year we'll have 13 because <coughs> they'll think there's that much talent there. So they'll always check in with us, do you have enough budget? For, you know, and I'm like, keep inviting. And then an invite, an invite automatically um, entitles you to funding. So the short answer is we know we don't, nobody knows whether you're from Cork or not. And in, even at Eurosonic, no one knows you're from Ireland or not, unless 
I'm walking around with the flyer going, go see my bands, go see my bands. And then the export office from the Netherlands is, no, no, go see my bands. Um, but uh, traditionally, though, um, I, I would always do an interview with Michael Carr or with uh, Mike or with um, Stevie on Red FM when we're doing our call for bands for Hard Work and Class Heroes. And they'd be like, oh, like, do you think now you've been from Cork? There'd be more Cork bands in Hard Work and Class Heroes. And you're like, but they're not applying. So, you know, we I remember one year there were seven Cork bands out of the hundred and they were like, what's the deal with only seven? And I'm like, eight applied. So seven got in. So actually, 97% of the bands that applied from Cork got in. So um, I suppose it's 20 odd years ago when we started the Music Resource Centre, it was Joe's Dead Right. It was because Dublin was impenetrable. Um, but in, in terms of the state of music in Cork and why I talked to Lorraine about putting this panel on today is it's not because Cork, you know, all of a sudden is paying attention to music. We've always paid attention to music and we've always produced good bands. Um, I suppose for us, the biggest number of bands who do well outside of Dublin and Belfast is Cork because it's the next biggest population. If you look on Breaking Tunes, it's the next biggest amount of bands. If you look by genre, there are seven genres of music coming out of Cork. And and coming out of Ireland used to be three. And now there's like, you know, last year's harder than class years, I think there were 11 genres and 50 bands. And we were like, amazing. There'll always be terrible singer-songwriters though. And there'll always be good singer-songwriters. <laughs> um, I, I will not put up with people being put down. Everybody's good. Um, but yeah, I suppose that's the very long way to answer your very short question, which is, do you do you see? No, it's it's never about where you're from, it's how good you are. And Ashley, uh, right here right now, Festival was in Cork Opera House a couple of weeks ago, Frank and Walters headlined on the Saturday with an orchestra supported by E Vagabonds and Marlene Enright, who are also <laughs> with an orchestra as well, plus loads and loads of other Cork and... Uh, acts from further afield over the weekend like is that something that almost wouldn't have been possible like even five years ago I don't know if it would have been possible you know like Cork bands being able to like headline the Cork Opera House and draw a really really good crowd and like new acts as well like Marilyn Enright getting such a great yeah. response too and getting to play with an orchestra yeah I guess it's just um, it. I think it's a very strange time in Cork at the moment because you've got to, to the music acts, the talent is pretty much incredible. I was listening to a band there called Rowan earlier on, and I don't think I've ever come across a band so musically and lyrically mature for a band so young. You know, it's just yeah. the, the whole thing was incredible for you know a first or second single. Um, but then I think like the the music industry in Cork is 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 very very fractured. I mean, just come back to what Joe says, there is no kind of step ladder approach. You need to do that, and then you need to do that, and then you need to do that, and you can kind of see progress going month by month, which is, I suppose, what would have happened when, when we started. And I think right, right here, right now, was just kind of an attempt to put that right. Now, it's difficult in the opera house because it's, it's a big venue, and it's commercially driven, um, even though it is an arts-funded venue. So you've got 900 seats to fill, but we were lucky that we were able to get the orchestra. We've done a, a number of gigs with the orchestra, and I mean, the, the Franks have been playing 30 years next year, and we never had a chance to play with an orchestra before, so it was you know, an incredible opportunity for us. And then for Marilyn and Eve Agabons as well, but what we were able to do on the Sunday was like cut the venue down to like a 250 
capacity and it's something you can't do you might get to do it like once or twice a year and and just um just give other people a chance to play at the stage because it is like it's a, it's it, it, i mean it's a great stage to play on it's it's i don't i think it's like after the board gosh theater it's the next weakest stage so it's a great you know it's great it's great to play and i think it was a successful weekend but there's still there's still work to do you know um i think the, the time of year probably didn't help the festival there's, there's a lot going on so i think the plan is to move it to the winter to have it have it a winter festival and to try do it over um like we did it over three three days last year two days this year but i think you know to try and maybe do it over two weekends the next time in the yeah, winter and it's not done in november that's a little bad festival yeah. <laughs> Making plans on stage here. The only thing I would say with, with Ashley's saying there there is uh, Mick McGrath and a, a bunch of people started a thing called Cork Loves Music, which we stole the title of. We work with them and then we stole the title and now there's Limerick Loves Music and Galway Loves Music. And that's an effort for us to bring together um and and Joe's spoken for us before you haven't yet, we need to get you over to one of them. Um we're we're bringing together artists and the people working in in Ireland, but also just in Cork, so people will know what each other do, and that, that's what having a centre like a couple of decades ago was able to do. If you had a centre, you had somewhere to come and talk to people. If you had a centre where people's jobs was to think about what next for music, then people came up with ideas or had the time as their job to listen to what artists needed or what venues needed, and I think one of the things we were chatting about is the idea of that small venue and you know I'm sure there's a venue there that we could either convince people to give a night to you know I'm thinking the Triskel or even you know the Half Moon isn't used that much that if there was a demand because the other thing for music all over Ireland is audiences people have gotten very lazy about going to gigs. Uh, well, you all kind of nodded your head there. Uh, who wants to go first? Why do you think they're, like, why, or is it harder to muster up an audience, despite, like, you know, having the internet at your disposal to, like, constantly, you know, tell people that this gig is on? And so why are people not buying tickets? I think there's two sides. So, for example, when you're a promoter, it's not enough you put on band A or whatever and kind of like wait and see what happens. You have to actually be proactive. Mm -hmm. So you have to stand back and say you want everyone leaving the room thinking that was a good night. That doesn't happen all the time. So, you know, there's some great rooms in this, like I see Brian from Collins, you know, but due to their success, they're very busy all the mm -hmm. time. Um, the other side is that, you know, I remember meeting a record company guy years ago and what he said to me was, and it's so true, it's a very basic thing, but back in our day, it was like you'd take an ad in the paper or the enemy or the amalgam maker if you're a band. You've no idea does, are people reading it? Are they gonna go and buy band A single for that reason? Now with the internet, it is a lot easier to go, like they're looking at your Spotify, they're looking at your YouTube, they're looking at your SoundCloud. Any form of and place where you can have music, like they're looking at. And the basic principle is still the same, it never changed and never will. If a band can't build an audience whereby, it, you know, it's one thing people going to a free gig, but even if a band, after they're a year old, they should be even making an effort to say it's a fiver in. Mm. You know, because at least in your first gig, when you release your EP, and it's seven quid with the EP or whatever, 
you're going to get a bit of a rental crowd, you know, and it's not always like that, but at least you go, well, that nearly paid for the pressing of the CD. So there has to be a kind of, from this, we hope to get this out of it. But as well, you know, it's very simple. It's like you have to draw a crowd. Like, it's, it doesn't matter. You know, there's a lot of people out there and they just think, well, we're feckin' brilliant, so they're going to come and find us. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. It never will. I mean, I, you know, I remember years ago with Stevie, who I met earlier, Stevie G, and, you know, a few years ago we spoke about uh, an Irish band that, you know, two Irish bands, I'll give you, that should have broke it internationally, Republic Loose and Whipping Boy. And Republic Loose, for whatever reasons, because of maybe being mad or whatever, but they never broke America. And their sound and the singles, because they've excellent singles, if you look back and listen back, and you go, great song, great song, great song. And the whipping boy, the other thing was that, you know, they were just, they were, they were hard to like as a band, as people. You know, that's another thing. It's, mm. You know, you go to a venue, be nice to the people. I always quote Lulu, as she once said, be nice to the people on the way up, because they're there on the way down. And it's so true that it's a very simple thing, be polite, you know, be mannerly to the venue you're playing, be respectful, all those basic things. That if you're going to be a pre-Madonna, you're not going to go anywhere, you know? Um, Angela, I was talking to Paddy Hanna, uh, who's based up in Dublin. He released, he's released one of my favourite albums of the year, frankly, on UK. He's been around for years and years and years with so, many, so much music, uh, loads of different bands. But it's only on this that he seems to have really, I think he's really found his voice and found his sound. And uh, he admits that himself. And yeah. you brought him over to Primavera. Yeah. And he was talking about how he kind of had this epiphany moment of, I'm tired of, you know, kind of playing down my music. I'm going to start talking it up and say that, actually, I really believe in what I'm doing. And he's, he talked about kind of playing the game, you mm. know, like schmoozing with people and stuff mm. like that, and actually being able to talk to, you know, people at these showcases. Like, yep. do you think that there are too many acts who still kind of, you know, like, I mean, success is relative, you know? I mean, mm. if, if, you may, if you have one person who loves your music, that's great. But if you do want to kind of be successful and make a career out of music, you do kind of have to play this game. Do you think Irish acts are getting better at kind of doing that and kind of like leaving the rest of it behind? I, I do, and I think it's because um, they're learning from each other and they're learning from, from different events. Paddy Hannah, though, the, the difference with Paddy is he played the game with himself. Um, and I know that sounds very, you have to love you first. Good but No, but he did, like he did, because he, he'll say it himself, he's... He's not the most fantastically exuberant kind of person. Like, I think there are people who talk a good talk and don't have the music to back it up, and there are people who have the music who don't talk a good talk, and I think Paddy was there for a while, um, but also played the gig of his life at Primavera. Like, and, and that's just music speaking for itself. There were 109 bands applied for Primavera and five got selected. And, you know, that was their booking team going through everyone, broke it down to 15 and went, right, these are our 15, are we way off? And I'm like, I don't know, it's your festival. And they were like, great, we'll take our five out of this. And I'm like, off you go. And Paddy was one of them. And actually the lineup was so diverse and it was a brilliant kind of um, snapshot of Irish music in itself. But with Paddy, Paddy will say himself that he had, he, that's a, he played harder in Class Heroes last year, selected on that album. I think it's the album of the year. I think it's the most beautiful thing he's ever done. Um, but it's not, you know, he'll say himself, it's not, Dermot Kennedy, Codaline, it's not that, but it's exactly like the audience. I think the, the feedback we've gotten from all the bookers is they're the band, 
them and Fon- him and Fontaine are the ones out of the five that they're chasing down to give gigs to and I think sometimes it can be timing it can be you know you you write you'll always write the music you're writing but audiences change and what they like and what they demand and what 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 catches on to something in any particular and I think all art is like that so I think Paddy and I hope he is because he's just everyone go to his gig he's the most terribly nice person you will ever meet but he's also very you know band banter is very hard when you're on stage he just that's what seems to come the most naturally to him he's so brilliant at it but I, I do think um, and I've had this conversation with everyone I, I'm in a situation where as the export office we're on um, the board of European music export offices so I get to see and meet a lot of the other countries bands and every band has that thing every band is too embarrassed to be confident about themselves but there's a certain thing Irish people have and I don't know I, and I think definitely it's a Cork thing as well um, but it's the we. I don't want them to think that I think I'm it syndrome I want someone to like come up with a shorter version of that but it's and it can be and no joke and it, it mightn't sound like anything real but I see seven bands every single Thursday every week of the year and there are so many of them who are um who don't want to move on. They don't want to go from the smaller venue because they're not they're afraid of success, but people have this self kind of limiting thing where it's not about their music. Their creative output is amazing. It's when they make that step into the commercial realization or the commercial ambition for that creative output is when a lot of bands just kind of become crippled with this oh, like, I'm not that good, and I really am, but they don't want to say they're that good. And then the Americans are out the other end, that they're like, we're the best band ever, and they're really not. So there's somewhere in between that the French seem to nail it, the Germans seem to nail it, the UK seem to nail it, but there's something, and it's not every band, it's just something that I've been noticing coming through. And Paddy will say that that's something that he didn't know, and Republic of Loose suffered from the same thing. They He got to a stage, Mick Pyro got to a stage where... Um, his peers, he was afraid that his peers might think he thought he was getting too big for his boots or whatever that is but I don't know it, what the cure or answer or approach is for that I, I, I have a, a personal this is very personal now uh, theory uh, um, th- there's been a situation with Irish bands over a long time and a guy would have released um, a single for Paddy Hanna when he was in Grand Pocket Orchestra in 2008 and at the time we reached the, the, the label that I run, still run it, um, broke me twice, so I'm coming back for a third go. We had a fight like apes, High Brazil and Grand Pocket Orchestra. And I thought the three bands were incredible. Mm. It's like where we are in Ireland, there's, there's three major music hubs in the world. There's, there's London, there's New York and Los Angeles. And we're an hour from London. And I tried to get all three bands to go to London, to move there for six months or a year, just to see what's there. Because when you are in London, you get a sense of what the music industry is, like what the challenges are, how good the other bands are, and how the industry works, essentially. Um, but none of them did, and I'm guessing Republic of Loose probably didn't either, did it? I don't think they No, I don't think no, they moved. no. Um, I've never understood it that Irish bands don't do it more often. Just get out, get out of the comfort zone and see what's out there. Even if it's for a short time, even if it's for a summer, yeah. like Airbnb it. I think if, like Paddy Hanna, who's like undoubtedly extremely talented, wants to move up a step, 
he's got to go, he's got to leave Ireland and see what's there. And you are going out on a limb, there's, there's no question about it, but it, it, it could be the answer. It's because you can only go so far in Ireland, the Irish industry is it, it, it's very small. I don't think you have to move to another country yeah, to get further in other countries. No, there are no. plenty of events getting further in other yeah, countries, yeah, yeah. and there's plenty of supports in place and structures in place for them to do that. Um, but I do think you're right. I think it's it, it's not even a geography. It's just leave your own head of, yeah. of the limits you're putting on yourself about your music. I don't yeah, know if it's I, a geographical move. Yeah, I, I, I think you, you don't have to do it anymore, but that's no. not to say that you, that you shouldn't. Yeah. You know? yeah, well, yeah, even, yeah. I think your point is, even if it's go for two weeks, tour the shit out. I mean, you could play London in small venues for two weeks and you're not pissing off promoter mm. in East London or West London or whatever. And I, I would, you know, agree, obviously Ashley's more experienced about touring uh, around the world, but, you know, now I would argue, I do think you could fine-tune what it is you do, whether it's in Cork, Dublin, Bally the Hub, doesn't matter. But I think Ashley's point and the uh, Paddy Hanna example is, um, there's a buddy of mine who's a writer and he's quite regarded now, but the first piece of actually thing he put out, he was 37, and I was always like, what's he up to? Like, he's writing the book, you're writing the book. This book was going on for years, and he never put out the book. And I just said to him, what's the story? And he said, you know what? You spend so much time at the start almost aping the people or the music in today's conversation that you like, that it actually takes you a while to shake off those influences and just to become what you are. So in the same way my reading of the Paddy Hanna story is, is that he's, you shape the shackles and eventually you just make music for yourself. And that ends up being the best music. Because when you're younger, you kind of tend to care what your peers think and, you know, who, oh, we're this type of band and, you know, that's trendy now and let's wear skinny jeans or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's as simple as if the music, and Angela said this, if the music's good enough, and then rather than just sitting in your house and not telling anyone about it, that you proactively go out there and do something about it. I mean, there's the famous Frames Revelate video, if you've ever seen it, and they had got dropped, I think, by ZGT or whatever, and they made this video with a security camera, literally one security camera in a shop, and it looks like a rob on the shop. And I think it cost £54 right, to make the video. And the point That's is... That's one million today. <laughs> but it's but it's it's um it's a it's a brilliant video because it's simple. So the whole point is people often think, oh, we have an amazing video. And, oh, we have to do all these things. No, you don't. But equally, at the same time, you have to have a filter. So just because your buddies say to you it's good, that doesn't mean it's good. Mm. It's really what you, as the band or the individual or whatever, actually think about. You know, and if you're confident with it, well, then go with it. You know. Mm. Um, just speaking generally and bring it a little bit, bit back to Cork, like, Ashley, do you think that um, Cork bands are kind of like a little bit uh, too interested in what their peers think? Would you like to see them kind of look more outwards, you know, further afield? Like, do you think it is a Cork thing? Um, I think, I, I think there's, it's a hard one to answer, I think there's, there's a time, I mean, you, you have to get good enough and sometimes that peer pressure is what drives you on to get to a certain level. But there's a time when you have to move past that. And that's, that's where I see that outward looking thing. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm 51, so is Paul since yesterday. And 
like when we were recording the last album, we pretty much had the songs written. We were going in to record it. And we did a festival over in the UK. And uh, there, was a, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of bands of our age, but there was also younger bands. And what we saw, because, you know, when you get set in your ways, you kind of, you know, after making like loads of albums, you don't think you need influence from anything. But what we saw, the bands were of such a, such a high standard that we kind of said, bloody hell, we have to go back to the drawing board and we've got to get, we've got to, you know, there was 12 songs, we're going to like scrap half the album and write another six songs that are better than the ones we scrapped and better than, than the ones we have. So the album took a lot longer than we thought because we wanted it to be as good as it could be. But it was that, you know, it was, it was seeing what was out there and kind of frightened the life out of us, you know? And it, you know, it could have been in our heads, but it probably made the album like 5% better or maybe 10% better for an extra year's work. It, it doesn't sound as if it's worth it. But I think when you look back, you know, like in, I suppose it's done long to go now to look back. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when you do look back, when you're, whatever, in your 60s and stuff, you say, what was that? you know, extra effort worth it. I think we'll invariably say, yes, it was. So I think that it's important to get to a stage and then look out and see what's out there. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with, um, you know, every, every other profession does it. You know, football yeah. players say, you know, guys playing with Cork City, they'll say, I want to be as good as, you know, a guy playing with Manchester United or whatever, or, you know, it's like if you're a, you know, a good plumber, you'd be saying, I want to be as good as the best plumber in Ireland, whoever it is. <laughs> so, you know, th there's, not, there's nothing wrong with competition. There's nothing wrong with yeah. putting yourself up against the best. And no matter what genre you're in, you, you got to do that. I, I don't know, do, do bands do that anymore? Um, because it's something that isn't really talked about. You know, it's like, I mean, in, I suppose, taking music as an art form in the art world in general, like competition is seen almost as a dirty word, I think, but it, it, it shouldn't be. You should be trying to do the best you can. And, you know, it, you know, if that means having a better song, if that better song means you have a better chance of getting on the radio, getting it on the radio gets you more followers and more followers will get you, get more, you more gigs, you know, and it's just, it's just, it just moves like that. So I think there is, Again, long-winded, but I think that you know, Cork bands do need to. Look. I think the great thing that Cork bands have is that you know, other cities, um, in Ireland and in the UK, there's always a scene. It's like a lot of bands sound like, sound the same or sound similar. I think Cork is always this thing where all the bands sound wildly different. Yeah. I think that's the great thing, and Cork's never lost that. You know, when I started, you know, going to gigs in the early mid '80s, it was you know you'd have you'd have like, like yeah, a funk band supporting, you know, a no, no punk band. And that's never really stopped. It's like every band is very different from each other, which is, which is brilliant. And I think that's, that's the one thing that Cork does well. Yeah. Mm. You know? Um, Joe, we're about two months removed from It Takes a Village, the yes. inaugural It Takes a Village, which uh, you kind of put together, you and Ed from The Good Room. Yes. And it was about 80 bands, only four, I think, were non-Irish. And you've mentioned before that um, uh, 
you've had this idea of a festival in Travolgan uh, for 20 years. Do you think if you had held it 20 years ago, you'd been able to book like 76 really good Irish acts? Do you think it's only in recent years that the standard has come up so high that you do think like this is very easy to book? I mean, no, I think you could have easily, you know, like, because, you know, like, I got here in 88, so I'm here 30 years this year, but, like, I could go just lists and lists of bands that were really, really good, you know, that could have gone places that didn't for, you know, there's so many reasons. So it's kind of almost easier sometimes looking at bands that succeeded historically and kind of go, what did they actually do, etc., um, etc., et you know, because... Everybody can make a good song or two, but you know, going back to can you make, you know, if someone had a magic wand when we were young, maybe do you want to be you too? I want to be you too. And it's like, I don't want to be you too. I don't want to, you know, sell out stadiums. It's like if someone said to you, you can make a living for the rest of your life, it'll be a hustle, but you can make a living singing your own songs to people in foreign countries that sing along with you. What a buzz that would be. And if so, sometimes people. They almost want to be like, I want to be like, you know, the 1975 or some massive band. And it's like, you know, it's like most of the arts, when you touch at it, it's like, it's, it's pop music, as someone once said to me, is one of the only forms of um, the arts where it's presumed you get worse with age. You know, so for example, classical, blues, you know, sculpture, painting, the list goes on. It's, it's accepted that you get better with age, but pop music, weirdly, is ageist. You know what I mean? So, at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, it's very important, you know, uh, getting back to your question about Trabalgan, no, I, I believe we could have done that 20 years ago, no problem. Uh, and it would have been as diverse and as, you know, Ashley said, you go back to even the early 80s in Cork, and like, you know, none attacks, and then you, like, there's so many interesting bands back there, and really coming from quite broad, as Ashley touched on, and I think that's always been there. What's almost more important is to say that, you know, your peers or your friends, their band is totally different, but like, you might learn something from them, they might learn something from you. But, um, but it is, it, and the other thing which people forget about, and I guarantee anybody that's ever succeeded, they're the guys that work the hardest, guys, girls, whoever, you know, the person that will work harder than anyone else trying has a better chance of succeeding, you know? Um, and like venue-wise in Cork, it seems like it has been an issue for the past couple of years. Like uh, just talking about you know bands um, starting out, you know where would where would they play? Like a year ago, and for the previous five years, you would have said uh, gulped and um, plugged in the Triscoll. Then when they kind of moved out of there, you were kind of, kind of, Cork kind of felt it lost. It's the same kind of feeling I think when the Pavilion closed down, um, when you stopped running the Pavilion, and then other people took it over, and it's just reopened again and like so that's reopened as a club upstairs in the in the pub it's called Dally. Now Cypress Avenue is kind of doing itself up and getting a, a, a lick of paint which it's been waiting for for a decade or two decades. I don't know how long I it's been. I, I saw a home actually there but no I think they're going if you have nothing to do go around the corner and look up and you see it'll be a significantly I think it's possibly something that they should have done years ago but ultimately it'll bring them up to 600 so that's an important stand-up. For example, the Opera House, if you take the seats out, it's 1300 or whatever. So, you know, there is room for everyone. I mean, we won't go into the conference centre today because I just look at it and go, they're going to bring 40-foot trucks down South Main Street. I'm like, this is ludicrous. <laughs> if you're in any other country in the world, they plan a light rail from Black Rock to Wilton or Curraheen 
and they'd actually put the, I was over in New Zealand years ago, and they have a stadium called the West Pax, 33,000. Yeah. It's a circle. They can do rugby, they can do cricket, so that it, it works all year round. They built a multi-storey car park next to it. It's like where the Franciscan well would be down the docks. It's not as far as Porky Cueve or where the marquee goes. And ultimately, daytime, Monday to Friday, it fills up with office workers. And at five o'clock, they leave and go home. And then at half eight or eight o'clock, a rugby match starts. So, you know, in the conference centre, even that, I just go, it's a bit Irish, it's a bit everything. I personally don't believe it should be there. I think it should be down the docks or by the train station, but who am I, you know? My question was going to be, do, <laughs> uh, oh. like, does it feel like it is quite healthy now suddenly, like with venues in Cork? I mean, like, light at St. Luke's as well. It seems like Cork has kind of weathered the storm and, you know, if the economic boom is on the way up. Cork venues kind of are as well, I, I do you know, I'm sorry, I don't mean to hug this. I, I wouldn't go there, seriously. I'm just saying, for example, St. Luke's or the former St. Luke's Church, it's an ex-church. So you're not going to put the Ramones, probably because they're all dead. But um, there's certain type of bands are suitable, certain type of bands aren't. You know, what's very important, and I think, you know, even though we've all contributed in different ways over the years, I think it's very important that whether it be like Sounds of Hate Harbour this year, more so than 2015, I thought it really showed that if we bring a few hundred extra people into the city and they come here to the Crane Lane or the School of Music or all the great spaces around the city, well, that really shows us off in a positive light. So yeah. if we look at other voices and go, like, I was meant to go this year, but apparently it's bonkers, mad busy, I'm going, we can take another jazz or two festivals a year, even I'll take half a jazz, but you know what I mean? We have to collectively say, let's draw people to the city. So it's very important, I mean, with Trevogan, that, which I didn't even think of at the time, was that we have 70 Irish bands of 75 total. But the thing was that Angela said, you know, Fulcher Ireland might be interested in this as an expose of Irish acts. And I was like, geez, I never even told her that. But again, the point being is, we need both us to export what we do and go to England and all around the world, yeah. and we need to import bodies to come and see, because Cork definitely does something in the water. I mean, when I got here, uh, 30 years ago, I was like, Jesus. And you could see it in the DNA and music. Like, it wasn't like the Franks and the Sultans sat down and said, oh, let's come up with funny bands that sing about funny things. It wasn't any of that. It just evolved naturally. I mean, I remember seeing Knopf walking around UCC. He's the lead singer of the Sultans wearing a big long leopard skin jacket. And I looked at him and said, I hope that fella's in a band. Because otherwise, <laughs> you know, what a weirdo. But like, the point is, sometimes you got to stick out. And you, you would see. Like, I'm not saying at the time the Franks had the orange jumpers and the flares that they got in leaders. They didn't walk around down like that. But, you know, the, the Sultans, you would kind of spot Paddy and, you know, Knopf around the city, as you would in Dublin, the Golden Horse, Simon Carmody or whatever. So, again, that. I mean, don't be afraid to dress up when you're on stage and have a laugh. I'm not saying dress as Mr. Blobby, but, you know, whatever keeps you happy, you know. Um. Angela, you've uh, worked with Kalos in the past couple of years. You've taken them on showcases to New York City and things, and they've just signed a US deal. Are they kind of someone that you would point to, um, like to Irish acts, like up and coming, and you would be like, look at what Kalos have been able to achieve in three years. You know, kind of play a three-year game sort of thing and look where you could be. Well, Talos and no one in particular will say that's not a three-year game. It's an all-his-life game, and it's just coming together under this iteration, like he was in at least two or three maybe, other ones, two anyway, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I suppose what I would use all of our bands to point to, and what I, you know, I do this ridiculous and bands laugh at me, um, kind of, but it's serious. Every band that we take to our nine international events, are how well they do depends on a whether we get the funding the following year, um, and and whether we can keep um, kind of expressing demand, but also. It's um, Talos are, are a very good example, as are most of the bands we work with, uh, um, Paddy being another example of the stages that we can intersect with support. So we can intersect by giving everyone breaking tunes because you can find each other there and plan tours and then industry can find you there. We then have the national intersection, which is to do a, an event where we can bring in international perspective because I'm with Ashley we can't be thinking around Ireland all the time so that's why for us Hardware and Class Heroes is so important to, to spend that time to bring the world into Ireland for a weekend um, and then to point to then if you have your shift together that's because we're not doing all of this for them like Talos didn't get picked because we have funding Talos got picked because his music is amazing so we've created a milk bottle and we keep adding bits to that milk bottle but I don't think fundamentally much has changed in the creaming agents it's still do you get on a blog do you get on radio do you get more people to your gate this time than you did the last time it's followers it's are you, can people see your progression from venue to venue to venue because an agent isn't going to book you if you haven't done your first gig because they've no Shazam numbers, they've no Spotify numbers, they've no gig numbers, you, they don't know how many people you can draw to a gig. So I think, certainly though, I think having an export office over the last 13 years and having hard work and class zeros over the last 16 um, has really contributed to competition. It's given people a chance to see each other and then internationally it's given bands a chance to see, as Ashley said, getting out there and seeing what other people do and then going, should I've done my game? And then if you up your game and your next stuff is better, then it's going to contribute to the art. But I think you're in a dangerous situation if you say, you know, putting more venues in Cork would make all the bands better. The bands are always good. It's just about, I guess, how can we encourage more bands to get made? Um, because it, it, it's really true, and we're finding this just measuring gender balance and bands and stuff, is it more balanced lineups you have, the more 12, 13 year old girls will take up drumsticks and, and guitars. It, you know, the GA did it, football did it, rugby did it, so it seems to be working there. But I think you do the same with the city. If a city comes together more often around its music, then I think Joel's right, I think add three more events. Um, but be kind of clever about it. And that was one of the, you know, do the way Cork Midsummer does it. If you think a festival on its own of music, is, is kind of, oh, there's loads of them, do something that no one else is doing. I, I don't see why there isn't um, a night of, of music and film bands around the Cork Film Festival. You know, I don't know why there isn't, you know, and, and if there's another event that is largely about sculpture, well, bands, you know, I would be a band playing, you know, in, a, in, in the Crawford and just stand out from behind the... Statue of David, no, not being naked, not being nice and sincere. But you know what I mean? I think if we start to think sideways, and I think with a big city, if the infrastructure is going, isn't going to change that hugely, look at what's already there and adapt it to your needs. And I think we've been a couple of decades going, God, wouldn't it be brilliant if... And I think then you just, like Joe did, you know, who God's name would have thought a children's game park would be 
a venue for a festival, and I, you know, and I think that's amazing. So, I think if you if you are looking for ways at dr bringing audiences in, cork bands are great for that extra bit they do at gigs, whether that's your flares and jumpers and leaders or your long, you know, it's about being that little bit extra, I think. And, and the other thing I'd say, it just came to me there, a buddy of mine who's a bit older than me, he lived in Dublin, you know, he's from Dublin, and he said <laughs> in the early 80s, so for example, we always hear about Henry's, and you're kind of like, you know, I see Greg here, Henry's, but uh, what's cool, but prior to actually Greg and Shane moving there in 88, like, People always think that oh, it was so contemporary. It wasn't. It was like it was like none attacks, mean features. None of these bands ever played there. Yes. Back in the day, they played in the Arcadia because there was a lady called Elvira Butler, and UCC call it the campus had the the foresight to go. Hang on a second. If we bring in UB40 or the Fall or XTC, and we give a local band the support slot. Well then, local band now is using big PA, and a fellow called uh, Joe Hurley, U2's engineer, he was the engineer there. So you can definitely up the ante, and ultimately, you know, the rising tide does lift all boats. But what I would say is as well, is if there's anyone out there in the little bands and whatever, and they can't find a venue to suit them, well then go find one. Yeah. Do you know, the point is, ask a buddy of yours' mother who runs a coffee shop that holds 30 people. You know, that's the whole point, is you have to be sometimes inventive rather than just sitting there and going, well, someone's gonna book us. It's like, and actually, it's what we do, try to do in the good room, is like, you know, granted Trabalgan, as people said, oh, great idea, but it's like, you know, to be fair, they're doing it in England for a long time in holiday villages, but, you, you, I know, I don't mind saying it, they have been, I mean, ATP was amazing, but, you know, equally, it's like, if you, if you can find something that's a venue that suits you, or no one will book you, and you think you're good, well, just go find somewhere, a little room somewhere. There's loads of bars that have a, an upstairs room no one ever uses, whatever the case may be. And then at least you build a, you can build a little scene, you know? And that's very important that, you know, and it's not even back to, well, you charge a five room, you've got 50 people, we made 250 quid. It's not even that. It's actually just going, if you have an atmosphere of a crowd, so if you play a venue, like we sometimes get people in St. Luke's going, oh, I'd love to play there. And it's like, yeah, but you haven't even filled a venue that holds 50 people in this city. Why would you get on to me? I mean, we need 200, 250 people to make that building work or otherwise it seems empty. So in the same way, you know, be fair and true with yourself and say, you know, we'd like to do something small or, you know, I see Brian out there, like if Collins had an age available, you know, that's a great place to play. But you have to kind of, you know, cut your clock to suit the, you know, the size that you are. And it's a great problem if you spill out a full small venue, because then the guy in the slightly bigger venue go, well, they sold out that, or why look at this? And then, you know, it goes on like that. <laughs>